Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Eric J. Johnson will join us to discuss the elements of choice. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, our decisions, easy to make, right? Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Professor Eric J. Johnson. Professor Johnson is the Norman Ike Professor of Business and the Director of the Center for Decision Science at Columbia Business School. He has been the president of both the Society for Judgment and Decision Making and the Society for Neuroeconomics. Author of numerous popular and scientific works on the topic, he has penned the new book, The Elements of Choice, why the way we decide matters. Dr. Johnson, thanks so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Glad to be here. Certainly our pleasure. Certainly a fascinating book that you've put together here, The Elements of Choice, in which you break down how our choices are structured and how our choices are made. Part of the expression, why did you choose to write the book? Great question. Interesting thing is I've been doing research on how people make choices for a lot of years, more than I'll admit to. And the interesting thing is we always demonstrate that people weren't making good decisions because they were making inconsistent decisions. You give them a a decision one way, they choose that. You give them another way, they choose the other. Now, it struck me that this is actually an opportunity. They can actually think about presenting people with choices in ways that make them make better choices. It's actually a way of sort of giving people the ability to be better decision makers without changing them, but changing the environment. And much of this is based on how the choices or the problem or the decision is structured in a way. That's right. So there's a fancy term invented by Thaler and Sunstein called choice architecture. But that describes what it is, which is basically like an architect decides a door goes here or a building goes here. A choice architect is deciding a number of things about the decision, like how many options do we give you? How do we organize them? how to describe the options. So it's that kind of thing. So let's take a concrete example of a restaurant menu. Long before you've gotten the menu, someone's made a bunch of choice architecture decisions. They decided what's on the menu and what's not on the menu. They've decided how to order the things. Do we order them by price? Do we order them alphabetically? Do we do it by categories of vegetarian and meat? They've made lots of decisions. Do they put calories on the menu or not? Those will influence our choices, even though we don't think about them. It's sort of popular to say that these days frames the options. Right. Framing is close to right because it's one of the things that choice architects do, but it's not the only thing. They make decisions about how many options present somebody. In New York City, it turns out they present high school kids 769 high schools to choose from. That may be a bit excessive and it probably doesn't lead to great choices. Just to give you one example, it's it's not framing per se, but it's something really important that is going to influence the choice. Is more of the onus then placed on the person structuring the choice? Well, I, I think what we don't appreciate is we all feel like we're in charge of our own choices. We don't appreciate the designer having as much influence as, as the, they do. And it's pretty obvious because when I'm making a choice, 
I'm thinking about the options. I'm thinking about who decided what goes where, who decided what's on the menu, what's off the menu. I'm just taking the choices given. So it's not surprising people don't appreciate the role, but the role is important. How much focus do you think is made by people presenting these choices in terms of structuring the choices and what options to present? I think it depends on who you're talking about. One of the things that I realized early on is, in fact, we're all choice architects. It's not just companies or firms presenting you know, websites to us. When I talk to my wife and say, what do you want to watch on movies tonight? I'm a choice architect because I'm deciding how many options, in what order, um, do I leave things out? Um, how do I describe them? Uh, I'm going to have influence. And I don't. I didn't ever think about that ahead of time. A friend of mine illustrated this well. They had a cranky three-year-old who they'd ask every night, do you want to go to bed? And you can imagine the outcome was wailing of teeth, another half hour, another 10 minutes, et cetera. They changed the choice to be, do you want to fly into bed or do you want to bounce into bed? And all of a sudden, peace reigned because they changed the way the choices were presented. So we're choice architects. It's not just fancy companies or websites. We all are. Anyone with the young children can appreciate that uh, dilemma and, and limiting the options so that we're not overwhelmed, as you mentioned, with these 765 possible schools out there. You have to narrow down the choices so that people can make an informed decision. Right. But you don't want to ever make the mistake of saying it should only be three because it depends a little bit about variety in both the schools and variety in terms of who's going to see the list. So it's not that one list is going to be perfect for all kids. Ideally, if we can, we actually customize the list to somebody. So some people have taken that New York list and made, made it into 30 schools that are within half an hour of your residence, all of whom have high school graduation rates above 70%. Sadly, in, in New York City, there are high schools that have lower than 70% graduation rates. They just don't make the list. So basically, by curating that list, people are able to make at least better choices in terms of schools that want them, and they want the schools. What then does this say about anyone presenting the options available? Is there a structure to presenting these types of choices? I think there's a, a couple of clear guidelines. And one thing I'm going to admit to is being an optimist. So I'm assuming, for the most part, that people have the choosers, best interest in heart, they want them to make a better choice. And there's some pretty simple principles, which like getting the right number of options that, that make a lot of sense. But not everyone does. And there's actually terms for that. Some people call it dark patterns or sludge. My favorite example is that required by law, whenever you're in an email, you have to have an opt out, um, subscribe me. I came across a website where the opt out was dark gray print, on a black background. You know, I had to have a magnifying glass to find it. That's a case where obviously that choice architecture was meant to keep me from finding what I wanted. The default option, which can change what people decide. So probably the most famous research I've been involved in looked at organ donation as a function of whether the country f framed it as an opt-out decision. You were a donor unless you chose not to be, or an opt-in decision like in the US where you are not a donor but you have to choose to be. A large number of people basically feel pretty ambivalent about the thing. They actually don't want to think about what happens to their bodies once, when they're deceased. And it turns out those defaults can change people's preferences quite a bit, their willingness to, to donate. Now, it gets a little bit more complicated because there are other people involved, like your family, but certainly expressing willingness to be a donor is very influenced by what the default is. 
There's lots of other cases. We've done a whole analysis of over 100 studies that do this. And on average, there's a big effect. About 20% more people will pick whatever is defaulted. Were there any particular surprising options in terms of choice architecture? Order was a big one for me. I mean, we all thought that maybe being first would be give you a slight advantage. And there's lots of stories about um, being first on ballots being an advantage. And that seems to be the case. But it turns out it really can be a very large effect. Let me give you one example I love, which is it turns out in figure skating, being last is a big advantage. And the reason is because you forget everyone else that came beforehand. And the key to understanding order effects is you have to understand what people will pay attention to and what they remember. So at the end of, of watching a set of dozens of figure skaters, people remember the last one very well. They don't remember the first one. So and that's a case where last turns out to be best. And the key is what do you pay attention to and what do you remember? Not being first or last, but what sticks with you, what's in memory. If you're the one being presented with these choices, what should you be thinking about then in terms of how the choices are presented to you? Well, the thing that's actually surprising is, at least when we've looked at this, people don't appreciate that they are being affected by choice architecture. So in some a series of studies now, people actually say they give them a choice, either with a default or without, and say the default influence you. And most people say no, it might influence other people, but not me. So that's not encouraging you to think that just telling people about defaults is going to save the day. I think it's they actually have to understand how defaults work to actually get people to be more aware of them. But just warning people, maybe it's because they haven't thought about it enough, doesn't seem to do the trick. You know, the way I, I think about it is I usually make decisions in one way. You know, I see go to one website. I don't go to another website. I never run the control Eric. That is, you know, I, I only see one v version of reality. And when I'm seeing that, I'm thinking about the choice I'm making, not about how did the person who's presenting me for the choices make that decision, how, how to do that. How does this play out then in various uh, institutions? Should there be better ways of structuring choices and presenting choices? Well, I think obviously awareness is not enough, but being told what the tools are and how they work is useful. So I do talk about some principles of choice architecture, which are useful. One is making things easy. That is fonts that are ugly, print that's too small, makes that information much less likely to be paid attention to. Ever listen to a radio broadcast where there's a disclosure at the end and they're speaking very fast and you can't hear it? That's going to that's there on purpose to minimize the impact of that information. We've actually found that it's really important because these choice ar architecture effects affect people who are less educated, less well off than people well off. Let me tell you one more story, which is about energy purchases. It turns out people have studied whether or not defaulting people into using green energy, energy from sustainable sources, works or not. And the simple answer is it works wonderfully. I can get many more people to sign up for green energy, even though it's slightly more expensive, by just defaulting them into that. The box is pre-checked. And the, the effects are very large and they're sticky. People will actually stick with that green energy. And if you ask people, they actually say, well, I know I, that's what I chose. So they're not being tricked. Now, it turns out that effect is even stronger among the poor people who are choosing energy. So these poor people, interestingly enough, stick with the green energy even more than rich people, even though they're the people who can least likely to afford it. The bottom line is you have to be very careful when you're doing choice architecture to not just help some people, 
but to help everybody. And particularly, it turns out, the people who are, who are most vulnerable are most likely to be affected by choice architecture. So you better get it straight. How aware do you think people are becoming about choice architecturally? Well, you know, the issue about defaults has been around. We did our first studies close to 20 years ago, but it's not like you walk down the street and everyone says, oh, I know I'm being defaulted into something. And defaults work all the time. You go to a website these days and you'll be asked whether or not you want disable cookies. But the default is that you're going to enable them. So they're still very effective. And I, I think even if people have a vague understanding, it might have some influence. It's not enough that they will actually act. Certainly, I mean, the book presents all these options. What do you think it's going to take for the both structuring and, and making decisions? So one of the reasons I wrote the book for people who are designing choice architecture is I think they're easier to reach. I mean, not everyone who's a choice architect will be reached. But if this book is used by government, by companies to actually make their design of their websites, their forms better, that's going to change things, even if the people making choices aren't aware of it. What pieces of advice would you give those choice architects in terms of implementing these types of issues? There's a really simple idea that I, I, I've thought about a lot, which is to actually just see if people get the right choice. So let's say you're designing a website. Bring in some customers and say, okay, can you find the cheapest uh, insurance policy that covers, let's say, diabetes? And you should see whether people can actually find that policy. It's actually more important that they actually find the right policy for them. And it's not automatic. In good choice architecture, they will. Bad choice architecture, they won't. So you can actually, like you do with a flight simulator, see whether or not the cockpit is right. You can actually see with a website whether the choice architecture will let people land successfully on the right option. We were just talking with Professor Eric J. Johnson, the new book, The Elements of Choice, Why the Way We Decide Matters. Dr. Johnson, thanks so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Great being here. Thank you. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.